Boundaries are not easy things for us to set, and not everyone will love us for setting them, and that is okay. It's an expression of love to ourselves that we set them in the first place. Welcome to the Transformative Parenting Podcast, mindset-based communication and leadership advice for highly capable, super smart parents. Because when you change the way you think about your kids, you actually change the way your kids think. I'm your host, Paula Kaywall. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to episode six of the podcast called The One About Developing Your Parenting Skills. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about something that none of the parenting books and gurus ever talk about when it comes to developing a parenting practice or changing your parenting style or whatever it is you want to call it when you start taking parenting classes or read parenting books or start to get some sort of parenting strategy going. I'm going to talk about what it takes to commit to a way of parenting, what that commitment really is, and the process of constant, gentle realignment, and to expect that during the process, not everyone will love or even understand what you are doing. In fact, some people will be annoyed by it, dislike you for it, and some may even be waiting for you to fall on your face and fail, which you will often because you are doing something new. But you will only remain on your faith if you stay there and forget the second part of the process, which is to recommit and realign yourself to why you made the commitment in the first place. So what I want to talk about now is the world of big change. Um, this is what it is like any time any of us venture into the world of wanting something better or more for ourselves and being courageous enough to step out toward it. There will always be people who do not like nor support that change. And many of us are quite frankly really surprised or not ready for this reaction. And I would be doing you a disservice if I did not prepare you for encountering it. Because when you do encounter it, it's most likely going to take you by surprise because you think that people would be on board with you improving your parenting. Um, I mean, that's just kind of an assumption we make. The pattern of lifestyle change, however, comes in a lot of different forms, and the way people perceive that may be different from the way we do. 
you know, your form could be a spiritual practice, a new method of parenting, opening up a business, homeschooling, getting married, having kids, changing careers, or even training your dog. It can be anything in which you move your center and your norm to new territory, and their reactions are all about them and their norms and where they are in their territory. That's just an important thing to remember and tuck back into the back of your head for when you encounter something that surprises you. So when we go to move into new territory, what prompts that decision is either moving away from something that's not working or moving towards something that we want. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. Many of us do not make these decisions very consciously. We wait for the discomfort to make them for us. And then we just move drifting toward what might be a way forward or a way out, or at least what we hope is. When we can make this decision consciously, we fully explore the decision and we really do the work to understand who we're becoming. That's why we're making it. This is a more in-depth and I would say a full-on board process of decision-making. It's not a, hey, I'm looking for a way out or I'm looking for a way forward. As much as it is, this is who I want to be. I'm making this choice to be it. And this is uh, what I'm going to get out of this process. So it looks a little different when you fully explore it. Most of us don't do this. Most of us just move, and it makes it easier to drift away from our initial choice point, because when it comes time to realign with that choice point, we don't see that we've gotten off track, we don't come back to to who it was we wanted to become with that decision to begin with. We just go, oh, we made a choice, we started moving, and guess what? It's not working. And then we lose our momentum, we don't know where to go, and we get pretty confused. The point of this podcast today is to explore the idea that big decisions in life are not a one-and-you're-done process. It's a, okay, I've got the pivot point, I'm making the choice, and now I need to make it again and again and again. I remember one day as a teenager talking to my stepdad He said something in those moments that changed the way I thought about love. I mean, it literally transformed it. I was asking how he knew it could work with my mom for their entire lives. You see, they got married after two weeks of knowing each other. And I couldn't even imagine doing that, like ever. In fact, You know, it was kind of traumatic for me that they did this. So I wanted to know 
what was going on in, in there? How, how is it that they made this commitment so quickly? He looked me straight in the eye and said, real love is not like that. He said, loving your mom is a choice I make when I get up every day. It was at this moment that I knew he was not like the other men in my mom's life. And I gave up all hope of returning him to the land of the exes and getting my life back the way it was before he came. This was not a man who was going to fall out of love if he was making the choice to love consciously every day. What he was telling me is that the inspiration for passion and love and change can come like a bolt of lightning that strikes out of the blue. In their case, it was me looking for a dog And when that dog didn't work out and we had to bring it back, the lightning bolt struck and he asked her out on a date and two weeks later they were married. But it's not that sudden choice point of decision that holds you in place in this relationship now that you've got, whether it's with a person, a thing, something you're creating, Uh, your dog, whatever it is, yourself. What holds you in that relationship is the choice you reaffirm every day. This totally melted my teenaged brain and completely elevated the way I viewed love at that point in my life because I had a very juvenile assumption as a teenager that love was this thing that just kind of happened to you. You didn't really participate in falling in love. It just, it just happened. And it either stayed or it left. That was the way I viewed it. Like I said, it was very juvenile. And this totally blew my mind. And what I'm wanting to say is that something similar is going to happen to you in your life. You're going to get the inspiration for making a change, for doing something, maybe even something really big. But then once the decision is made, you have to shift into reaffirming that choice in order to sustain it. I like to use writers as an example of this because it is a great, great example The idea for writing a book, whatever that book is, is so much more fun and compelling than the actual sitting down every day and getting those words out of yourself onto a page. This is how it is anytime we make a choice to do something big, you know, the idea of it is always far more appealing than the doing of it. Unless we understand how to position ourselves, unless we understand 
who we're becoming from that choice and keep revisiting that idea like a touchstone that we keep coming back to and keep reaffirming. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's who I want to become. That's where I want to go. That is what I want to do. So basically, what's going to happen is you're going to get the inspiration to make a change. In this case, let's talk about parenting. Once the decision is made, you have to shift into reaffirming that choice so you can sustain it. And most of us fail to do this crucial step, especially when it comes to parenting. We drift off center, which we will inevitably do when we make a choice like this, because the very first thing that happens is we see everything in our lives that's not a match for the choice that we're making. That's the very first part that comes up to our attention. And if we're not firmly anchored in what we're doing, we process that as uh, evidence that what we're doing is not working. A better way to think about this is that some things no longer serve the new way that we have decided to be. And these things need to be cleared away. You're only aware that these things are there because of that initial choice. This is the time to come back and recommit to the choice you made. The universe will always, always bring up what is not like your intention and ask you if you're sure. When you recommit, you're saying, yes, I'm sure, and you move through the work of clearing that shit out. Through the process of doing this, you find your center in your new path. I look at this as a stance that you come back to over and over and over again. Think of yourself as looking for a position of balance and think of your life like the ocean with waves coming in. And so you are out there standing on the shoreline and you're standing far enough into the water to where the waves are hitting you and pushing you around. And what you're trying to do is find your balance so that every time a wave hits you, you come back to a balanced position and position yourself for the next wave. In doing so, you come to a place where you can reset and reset and reset. Life's job is to push you out of balance, just like those waves. Your job is to come back to center. Eventually, you'll do this so often and naturally and repetitively that you no longer even have to think about doing it. It's just in your muscle and it is just what you do. I'll give you an example of something that happened to me recently when I was on vacation at the beach that um, illustrates this entire process. It illustrates the process of making a commitment to a new way of doing things, a new way of being in the world. And it illustrates that being challenged the waves hitting, and the reset. So it happened when we were on vacation in a cabin up on a hill that overlooks the ocean, not too far from Brookings, Oregon. We were getting ready to go for a hike, and the hike involved 
a car ride we needed to go to uh, a lookout point and park the car. And as we were getting ready to go, Yen was on the deck and she could hear the people moving bags and shifting things around and her mindset started to get a little bit more excited. So as I was getting ready to take her, I decided to drop her off toward the back of the cabin to go to the bathroom before we put her in the car. It's just what I always do. I always give her a chance to do that before we go anywhere. As we're back there, she's watching the people mill around the car. The car's exciting for her, and she starts to vocalize. Well, she's being vocal, and she's in a very excited mindset. And so our training that we do with her is that she must come down in her excitement levels before she gets what she wants. So I'm leading her through that process of calming and self-soothing And a woman comes out from another cabin and she yells at us to shut up. I ignore it the first time. I'm not even sure, honestly, she's talking to us. I mean, I I think she probably is, but I'm not positive. And so she does it again. And I um, say over my shoulder, that's not helping. And she looks at me and she says, well... What's the problem? Just like that. And I told her, uh, well, you know, we're getting ready to go. And I'm doing a training exercise with her to calm her down. And once she's calm, then we're going to go. And she proceeds to tell me to just go take her for a walk. I said, sure, we will. But not until she calms down. I'm not going to reward this behavior or she'll do it more. And the lady then tells me that she has been rescuing dogs for 20 years and to just take her for a walk. It was at that point that for the first time in my 47 years of being on this planet, I told someone to mind their own business. She um, asked me how she could do that with this noise going on. So a little background on the noise. Uh, Dogs are barking nonstop all the time in this place. And Yen is very quiet. This was the first time she made any noise. I said, well, it's only been going on for a few minutes. It's only going to go on for a few more. Go back inside. It'll be over soon. And she did. She went back inside. I led Yen through her calming And then I was able to put her in the car, and we resumed our hike. I wondered why this situation had provoked this lady so much when the dogs were, you know, barking from the units all day long around us. And this was the only time that Yen had not been quiet, and it was a special circumstance in which she was particularly excited. And that's when I realized it wasn't the noise. But the type of noise, Yen sounded distressed because she was. She was uncomfortable being so far from the car when a car ride was going to happen. Oh my God, right? She was definitely acutely distressed. And that sounds different than regular dog barking. This hit a nerve in our rescue lady and she responded very reactionally to it. 
there was no way for me to logic with her. She just wanted that distress and that nerve that was hit. She wanted that to stop, and she wanted it to stop now. The training I do with Yen requires me to allow her to be uncomfortable sometimes. To self-soothe, to ride through the dog version of emotional storms. It requires me not to rescue her from herself. And honestly, I've invested months and thousands of dollars into this training method, this behavior modification, and I was not going to walk away from it to make this stranger comfortable. I don't see it all that differently, really, from a parent who has a toddler that's throwing a tantrum in the store and feels like they can't write it out because the other shoppers are demanding they soothe and calm that child. It begs a question, and this is an interesting question for us to contemplate. Why is it so uncomfortable for us to allow our kids and animals to be uncomfortable? Is it our mirror neurons making us experience it too? Are we better at this? The better we are at soothing ourselves and writing out our own discomfort? Are we actually more compassionate toward others when they have to do the same if we can do it ourselves? I think the answer to all of these questions is yes. We can tolerate discomfort of others if we can sit quietly with our own discomfort. We can be a confident leader through the emotional storms of our lives instead of a reactionary pinball. So to continue the story, Yen wrote it out. She calmed down and she went into the car. When we got on the trail, she learned that she had to walk behind me, whether or not she was on or off the leash. She did some agility on the beach, scaling rocks and bounding off at a command to come to a rapid sit at my feet. She got to be a dog, and she enjoyed the rest of her day, meeting expectations and being guided back to meeting them when she didn't. In essence, she was fine, and that previous distress for a dog is a blip on a screen, and we humans could learn a lot from dogs on how to release. Later on, I reflected on the encounter that I had, my reactions, and what the real test was in this situation. It was whether I would stick to my training and what I know is right for me and my dog. It was a chance to reaffirm that choice. I stuck to my training when that wave hit me. I did what I felt I needed to do for us and to stay congruent with the months of work and the, uh, and the investment of time and money that I've done here. People are not always going to react well to you when you are doing something they don't understand or that triggers them in some way. You cannot control their reaction, only your own. I look back on this situation and what I see was an effort to be nice, an effort to explain, and when that didn't work, I set a boundary. I actually surprised myself at the strength of that boundary and how 
automatically I set it. Boundaries are not easy things for us to set, and not everyone will love us for setting them, and that is okay. It's an expression of love to ourselves that we set them in the first place. And I feel good about mine. When you start a new parenting practice, your mind is going to be looking for evidence that it's not working. Your mind will find all those things that come up that need to be cleared away. And it's going to latch onto them as proof. And others may jump on this as well. Your job is to return to center, reset your stance, and reaffirm your choice. Your life's job will be to bring forces onto you that push you out of that stance, make you stronger, and give you the opportunity to do your job and simply reset. This is how you will find your center within your commitment. And once you find this, no one will be able to throw you off any path you've chosen. And that is the most powerful thing you can have when it comes to starting any new practice in life. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode on developing your parenting skills. And if you feel so inclined, please, please give it a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. And I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transformative Parenting Podcast. If you'd like to go deeper than you've ever gone to become the leader your child needs, head on over to www.makeyourparentingeffective.com to learn how.